What do children learn about food from planting a garden and tending it? And what other lessons are learned beyond the simple knowledge of how to make a garden grow? We speak to Trisha Gill today to find out. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Trisha Gill, graduate student at Prescott College studying sustainable food systems. She also is involved in health education and communication, in particular with a learning garden it's a K-12 horticultural education program at Siouxland Christian School in Sioux City, Iowa. Welcome, Tricia. It's so nice to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So I'm really interested in um, knowing what brought you to study uh, sustainable food systems. Well, um, that's a long and winding road. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've spent the past oh, about 20 years working in communications. Part of it was just small businesses in my region that I worked with, but a lot of it was health adjacent businesses. I started many, many years ago as a nurse before deciding to stay home with the kids. So health has always been something I'm passionate and curious about. Um, and then layered on top of that, I started gardening probably about 12-ish years ago. My first couple of gardens were fields of weeds because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why not, right? right? That's how a lot of gardens start out. But over time, I kept learning more and became very interested in the science of plants and plant health and soil health and sustainable agriculture. All of these pieces kind of come in when you start to research more into gardening. And I started to realize there was a lot of overlap between that and public health. So I decided to go back to school to learn more because I'm one of those people who, if you would pay me, I would be a student just to be a student. I would be one right. <laughs> to the end of my life. I understand. Um, yes. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. Been, I love school. And so I was searching for a program that, you know, looked at sustainable agriculture, but also all the pieces of the spider web, because there's just, it's so multidisciplinary. And that's what I was looking for. And so I found this program and it really allows me to customize my studies towards my interest in community-based regional food growth or food system growth. And so that's kind of where we ended up on the graduate side of things, on the, on the academic side of things. And so tell me about the project, the learning garden that you've established, because to me, that's absolutely the the sustainability program in action. And mm -hmm. it's also a way to impact the future. When you impact children, you are impacting the future. Right. And that's exactly what um, Lindsay Lorick is the superintendent at the school. And uh, we're still in, in progress. This thing is brand new baby. We're building it out. We'll be starting our first 
class will be moving through the garden this coming school year, uh, fall of 2022. Mm -hmm. um, I had to think what year we're in for a moment there. <laughs> um, so Lindsay's passionate about the same thing. She felt that when you can impact kids' relationship with nutrition, their relationship with the earth, uh, with you know understanding where their food comes from, Mm -hmm. You you impact their entire life, but you also maybe some of them might become guided towards impacting others in their community when they're older, right? Right. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I started. Mostly I, I became interested in working in the garden with kids because of my own kids. Um, my older kids, not so much. They like to come to talk to me when I'm in the garden, but they don't really like to help me too much. But my younger kids, you know, they were out there pulling cilantro out of the field of weeds that we had grown that first year. <laughs> my youngest, especially, she's a little gardener herself. So it's amazing to watch how they light up and how they interact with the, not just the plants, but, you know, the whole ecosystem, the butterflies and playing with the soil and just, it's, it's magical to see kids in, in that environment. We have a, a summer camp at the museum where the children make their own lunch every day. And cool. one of the things that we notice, we also have a garden in the back of the museum that the children work in. And if they can harvest something from the garden and then use it to make their lunch, even if it's something like just picking parsley or cilantro or something that gets thrown into a salad or whatever it is. It's amazing how children will try something absolutely new that they've never even seen before. And just the fact that they've manipulated it or touched it in some way makes it a lot more interesting to them and uh, you, you eliminate some of that ew factor. I don't know what that is, you know? So I'm sure that when they're actually growing the food that they have that same experience. Absolutely, yeah. There's um, a lot of gardening with kids texts will say if they'll grow it, they'll eat it. And yes, that is so, so true. A lot of research has been done. I wish I had some names. Of course, I my memory for names is not great, but I have a bunch saved on my computer of, there's so much research when you have kids in the garden, they increase their consumption of produce, of fruits and vegetables. Um, but it's not just what they grow, you know, they'll grow it, they'll grow it, they'll eat it, but then they'll go home and they'll eat more stuff. They're a little more willing to try new things because because they experience. recognize it. They recognize yeah. that it's also produce, even if they haven't grown it. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah it expands really cool. their understanding. Yes. Yep. So that they don't actually believe that the peanut butter grows in the jar on the tree <laughs> or that the spaghetti is, you know, harvested off of a bush or whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or that food just magically arrives from the grocery store, that yeah. there's a process to get it there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which I think I, a lot of us need. Um, yes. Yeah. I think that's that it has really become something that we're detached from especially mm -hmm. now yes and so what are you planning on planting in the garden and how are you how are you dividing it up because you're saying that you're involved in k through 12 so that's yeah. a big span of uh, knowledge base uh, everything from 
dexterity to understanding. Right. So first and foremost, most importantly, I'm going to have a co-teacher in this whole project. Um, Chris Hecht will be working with me. He is already a part of the school. He's um, already a huge part of their outdoor space. So he'll be heavily involved in the garden side of things, especially working with the kids. And we'll have divisions. So K through five, those are more going to be, you know, projects, growing peas in a cup, exploring, you know, roots and seeds and shoots and leaves. Mm -hmm. Um, They will get out into the garden, but it'll be more visits to the garden than anything else. As they get older, you know, maybe they can work like the older elementary kids can help transplant seedlings and things. Um, But that'll be a class by class determination what they're ready for. Middle schoolers will actually be looking at, they'll have an elective they can join in if they choose to take the elective. It's looking at food systems. Uh So really cool information from, you know, how does food get to you from seed to that final product on your plate? Mm -hmm. And we'll be having a really big focus there on food waste because that is part of the food system, right? As the the waste created uh, so that we can create little advocates for our composting out in the garden. So you do have compost? uh... Yes, we will. Yep, definitely. Um, So that's just kind of creating little little advocates out of that age. And middle school is such a perfect age for that. They get so excited about making change in the world. And yeah, so that'll be the middle school. And then the high schoolers will have the option to take a horticultural science course. And that's where we'll get very deep into soil health, water conservation, plant health, even looking at things like open pollinated seeds and the importance of biodiversity. Mm-hmm. And those kids will be working, they'll be the main caretakers alongside Chris, my co-teacher. Um, they'll be the primary caretakers of the actual garden itself, as far as the, you know, the nitty-gritty getting in there, weeding, right. taking care of it, managing the plants. But yeah, we will have. You know, the season is interesting when you're working within a school, especially a school in Iowa, where in winter you cannot grow things if you don't have a heated greenhouse, which uh-huh. we don't. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll be looking at a lot of short season stuff, a lot of greens, lots and lots of greens for those kids to grow when the, the fall, the beginning of the school year, and then in the spring at the tail end. Um, eventually, I believe we'll be looking at some indooring with grow lights Chris has talked about. And ultimately, it would be awesome, you know, someday we'll uh-huh. adding on to have a garden club of sorts of mm-hmm. kids who take a special interest in the garden who could actually grow things in the summer, like tomatoes and okra and, you know, the kind of stuff that you can't just start in the spring and, and right. abandon it until August. Right. right. <laughs> Well, so what are your plans for actually harvesting and then using whatever it is that you um, produce? So Dr. Lorick is very excited about the idea of using some of our produce in the school lunches. Um, This school is still small enough. They're so lucky. They have a, a cook. They make real food, like honest to goodness, real food in their kitchen for these kids, which is a privilege that a lot of schools due to their size just don't have, you know, the, the economics of, and logistics of cooking for hundreds of kids. Um, So we're kind of, you know, we're blessed in that, in that area that we have such a small school 
we can grow spinach or lettuce or just different greens, peas especially. I'm excited to have them use pea shoots in some stir fry, teach uh -huh. those kids about pea shoots. But yeah, we'll be using a lot of it in the school cafeteria. And then eventually part of our expansion plans, because you know we're looking a lot of years out on this. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. um, eventually, it, which is we, which is really great because it means that this is going to be a long-term aspect of the school, which is perfect. I mean, that's wonderful. It's not just a one semester try this kind of thing, which is great. Right. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah, no, this is definitely going to be cooked into the school for a long time. Um, so yeah, we'll be we'll be looking at growing food to contribute to local food pantries. Um, we have an amazing group here in Siouxland called Up From the Earth. And then we also have Voices for Food. And both groups are comprised of just people who grow food in their own backyard to help supplement what people, other people can get from food pantries. A lot of food pantry stuff has to be shelf stable. Mm -hmm. Again, logistics. So it's very much needed to have that community-based support to get the fresh produce in there right. so eventually we would like to contribute to both of those groups and their outreach efforts well i can just imagine how excited the kids will be the first time you label this is your spinach or whatever you know that will be just so wonderful they'll be thrilled they will be yeah i think they'll be very very excited and i've heard from a few parents already who are themselves excited to learn from their kids because yes you know a lot of my generation has been detached from the garden and from the process of of uh, growing our own food so it's exciting for lots of generations i think so one one of the uh, little projects we have at our summer camp now because summer camp is just a week long so it's a week and then you can sign up for another week and another week but you each each week is independent of the others. And so one of the things that we do, especially for the seven and eight year olds, is that we if they make something with carrots, they keep the top part of the carrot and we put them in a tray. We put a little flag, you know, with a toothpick, we make a flag with their name on it for their carrot. Um, and so you can just stick the toothpick into the carrot and then put it into a tray that you put water in every day. And if you do that on a Monday, by Friday, you can take home a carrot that has little roots starting to grow and little green shoots coming out of the top. And um, it's like the beginning of, for them to understand that this is alive. This yes. is not a dead thing. This is alive. And they can look at their carrot every day and see how it's coming along. And then they can take it home. And if they want to keep it at home, they can take it home. That and, is such uh, a cool idea. I love that. And it's so simple. It's so very, very simple. And, you know, you make a little um, uh, craft project out of making the flag with the, the toothpick that you stick in so you know which one is yours. And so it's your carrot, you know, it's not just, oh, look, they're all doing well kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And you can do it with other things, but carrots are orange and they're um, easy and cheap and all of that sort of thing. So it's a, it, and they grow fast enough 
that you can use them in a week and start something on Monday and have a something by Friday that you can feel like you can look at, look what I did, you know, as a, something to take home with you at the end of the week. Um, That's awesome. And important for the simple. little kids. They need to see fast growth. It's, um, you know, if you can't plant corn with a seven-year-old, even if you have the time, no, because yeah, they right. want to see the, you know, they get bored with it. They get bored with the project if it lasts too long. So exactly. that's exactly. fantastic. I, I'm going to add that to my, my list of ideas for my little ones that I'm working with. That's a really fun idea. You can do that with a lot of things, even if you have um, different kinds of lettuces that are flat, you can put them in water and they'll grow more, you know, more leaves and things. And I think that for children who are not really um, dexterous enough to do the planting or handle the Mm -hmm. seeds and all that sort of thing, it gives them a way to feel that they're just as much participating in the project. And then if everybody's growing lettuce, then you can have a little salad at the end of two weeks or whatever, so that you've produced something that is really, um, um, that's really meaningful. Right. Yeah. We have, um, salad on one of our lists for the little kids to do a salad tasting party because there are so many different kinds of lettuce. Some kids think they don't like salad, but maybe they've only tried arugula and they haven't tried, you know, a butterhead or whatever, or butterleaf. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's a fast one that they can be involved in and you can kind of, we figured we'll broadcast the seeds. They can just dump them on there. I've done that with my youngest. That it's hilarious to watch her. They all end up in one spot. So I kind of flip them up, you know, but right, right. Yeah. They grow regardless. They don't right. need to be perfect rows. So right. uh, they're good. That's a good one for kids. And so what else are you involved yeah. in besides this project, which I think is really extraordinary, but what else are you doing? Well, a whole lot of things. So um, I'm also working with a small group of people in Dakota County, which is just across the river from us. Uh, We are creating a traveling farmer's market. So yeah, the goal of that one is to grow a consumer base of people who are interested and supportive of regional food. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, one of my first classes I took, uh, we read this book, um, Rebuilding the Food Shed by um, oh, Philip Ackerman Least. And he talked about how it's not the field of dreams, right? You can't just build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. You have to build up that consumer awareness and understanding to really support a regional food system. So we'll travel between the different cities and villages of Dakota County. It's a very small rural area to really promote rural food through some local vendors. And the ultimate goal is to create that consumer base so that local farmers and just, you know, a lot of these families have acreages. It's, it's a rural community. Maybe we can inspire some of them to start a market garden or some of the farmers to convert a tiny piece of their farmland to direct to consumer, you know, growth. Um, just to kind of build that up because that community grows a lot of food, produces mm. a lot of food but it's all earmarked to be exported into the national processed food. Right. Right. Yeah. No, let me ask you. So are you thinking of like putting this on the back of a truck and taking it around? Are you actually setting up 
different markets in different places. Yeah, we have five vendors right now, regional farmers who grow mm -hmm. um, food produce for farmers markets. So on like the first Sunday of the month, we'll be in, in one city. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll have tables and booths, just like a traditional farmer's market. Okay. We'll have a few okay. food trucks. And then the second Sunday of the month, we'll be in a different city. Mm -hmm. So we'll rotate through the various locations. And I, I came up with this idea based on a food system analysis I did for um, one of my classes. And I tried to look for similar setups. Mm -hmm. um, and either they don't exist or they don't have a lot of internet presence. So if any of your listeners know of a setup like this, I would love to connect with somebody who's already doing this. We've got it pretty well planned, but advice is always welcome from. So what is the name you know. of this project? Does it have an official name? Yes, this is Dakota County Farmer's Market. Um, we have originally, it was sscfarmersmarket.com um, because originally we planned to be set up in the biggest city of the county. Mm -hmm. But then after doing that food system analysis, we realized we'd be much better off rotating through and kind of, you know, reaching out into the communities that we want to serve rather than asking them to always come to, to, to the city. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so does it, is there a website? Yep. It's, it's still sscfarmersmarket.com. And that, um, We'll probably keep that same website, but it is, we're calling it now the Dakota County Farmers Market. And SSC just stands for South Sioux City. It's the main city in the county. Mm -hmm. So we have that. Um, I'm also volunteering with the Sierra Club. I'm um, conservation chair for the executive committee for Northwest Iowa group of the Sierra Club. Longest name ever. <laughs> um, and with them, I'm growing a soil health teaching plot uh, at a community garden that they help manage. Um, that one, the focus will be teaching about soil health in terms of, you know, we can't just keep taking, taking, taking from the soil. We have to give back with compost and, um, you know, good stewardship of that soil, but also soil health as in what a small plot of land can provide you nutritionally when you grow a, you know, a good mix of, of products. So this year we'll be doing the three sisters, the mm -hmm. traditional um, indigenous plants of corn, beans, and squash. And then we'll also do sunflowers and amaranth to kind of round it out. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing that. Um, and do you and do then, a cooking class or anything for people who are participants so that they know what to do with amaranth, for example? Yes, Jeannie, uh, Jeannie Buckholt is the uh, outreach coordinator for the Sierra group, for this, our little section of Sierra Club. Um, and she does a lot of community classes. Most of hers are focused on working with kids. She does love working with kids, um, but we will be doing some adult cooking and soil health classes as well. And then we have a blog that we'll be updating with recipes and things too. Okay. Yeah. So, and then as if I wasn't busy enough with everything, um, you inspired me to start my own podcast. So I'm reaching out and having conversations with people about collective gardens. Um, basically a garden that's hosted at a school, a church, or a community space, and just 
having conversations with people about how gardening affects mental health and builds community and gives people, you know, who work two jobs, the opportunity to still be involved in gardening and just all the goodness that comes from collective gardening. And so have you actually started the podcast? I've started, um, I've done two of the interviews, but I've not yet posted them. So that's next on the checklist. And when, what is the name of the podcast? That one is called Sprouts and the website is just collectivegardens.com. Okay. Uh, mostly because sprouts.com was obviously unavailable with the <laughs> commonality of that name, but right. yeah. Yeah, well, that's in progress and I'm hoping to launch the first episodes probably around mid-May, I think is when I'll start pushing those out. Well, I hope that we can yeah. host it on the Nitty Grits Network. That's that the goal. Very, very exciting because mm -hmm. we actually don't have anything that has to do with gardening, sustainable soil or anything like that, which we should. And so it would be really exciting to have that. That's our goal. Yeah, that's the big hope. And actually one of the interviews I'm doing is with a gardener at Arizona State University. They've been working really hard on improving the sustainability of their garden. So we'll be talking about exactly that sustainability within these kinds of communal garden projects. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I, and, you know, there's so many types of sustainability to think about in a garden project, because not only do you have to worry about the actual biological sustainability of the garden, but you have to keep up the community um, mm -hmm. engagement so that the garden has that support in addition. So it's, um, it's not as simple as you on your plot being sustainable. It really right. requires a lot more community input and kind of people skills and things that maybe a gardener might not have. Right, right. And reaching out and creating connections with you know, local businesses or resource suppliers, or, you know, even just managing the relationship with whoever owns the piece of land you're working on, you know, and, right. and the city government that can, at the stroke of a pen, change the rules. Change the rules, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, yeah, it's, there's a lot to it. Yeah. yeah. So in New Orleans, we've actually got a, quite a bit of, um, it's not recycling, it's composting, but I think of it as recycling going on where we have some local uh, craft beer companies that are, are using their, um, their old mash in various ways. And of course, New Orleans is a very big coffee company, a coffee city. And mm -hmm. so we have all these coffee houses that have all these grinds to deal with. And there's just many, many things like that that are going on that are creating um, a, a kind of a, a local compost. And our zoo is now uh, creating compost from animal waste um, wow. elephants and all kinds of things. So um, I, I, there's all of that to think of in the future where you actually could create businesses out of what you're doing that, because uh, if you could have the space to not only have the garden, but to have the composting, 
then you could turn it into something that maybe could financially pay for itself. Yes. Could be, and give those kids some entrepreneurial training, which is exactly yes. huge in yes. the, the world we're moving into with careers and things being so self, you know, self-employed is, is huge. It's blowing up like crazy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's, I love that with the zoo. That's a cool idea. Hmm. Well, you know, the zoo is always looking for money to support itself. So yes. I thought, why not use what you have? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's interesting. I'll have to start. You know, it's funny that you say that I, I go to Starbucks here and take the bags of grounds for my own compost at home. Mm -hmm. Um, but now that you say that, I'm thinking we do have a few coffee, local coffee, um, bean, I don't even know what they're called. They make their own beans. Uh Um, and we have a few new breweries here in town. We may have to look for some connections there for the school's composting. Yes. And then that would be cool. It also leads you to other things. For example, making vinegar and doing different kinds of fermentation and using things like the old mash from various kinds of beer to either create a vinegar, uh, mm-hmm. which is very interesting, or using it in bread so that then you're uh, yeah. really taking that fermentation to the next level. And I think that once the children are and not only children, I mean, I think anybody who's interested in this at all would be interested in putting it all together because it just demonstrates how interconnected it really all is. And that's really the key. Once we understand how it's so interconnected, you become less likely to stop this stop something somewhere where you say, okay, we're going to stop the chain right here. Mm-hmm. And you can let that chain just go on and on and on, which is so much more exciting. It is. And it's the reality, right? We look at, um, yes. you know, people talk about how do we, how do we fix the food system, this national giant, especially after COVID and right. all the interruptions that we saw, right. Exactly. you know, how do you fix it? Well, it's a complex adaptive system. You don't, fix it you you can do levers and you're right you can make right. small changes that have ripple effects but and I think we missed that I missed that myself before I started studying at Prescott you know it's we we think oh this this simple cut and dry solution is mm-hmm. the answer mm-hmm. but it's all just so interconnected and so big and so dependent upon things that are out of our control mm-hmm. and gardening can be a perfect microcosm to teach that that idea in. and it I think it opens people up to being a little more accepting of different solutions to problems instead of saying nope I have an idea it's the right answer it's the only answer yes gardening can just you there's so many layers of what you can learn by working with food and and yeah using the food waste for different methods and Yes. tracing the trail of where your your pizza rolls came from <laughs> you know? things that yeah and that's the exciting part about working with kids is you're impacting how they're going to see the world when they're older even you know you never know where it's going to end up yes yeah so, Trisha thank you so much for this conversation it has been really really exciting to learn all the things that you're working on and seeing um all of your ideas actually become reality because to me, that's, that's 
that's actually more important than having the ideas to be able to, <laughs> to make them happen. <laughs> yeah, that's, I have a lot of more ideas that are sitting in a notebook somewhere. So yes, you're absolutely right. But thank you for having me on. It was lovely talking with you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.